Welcome to another edition of the Smugglers Galaxy podcast. This is episode number nine. We're recording it on Halloween, All Hallows Eve morning. Uh, Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Glenn? I am good, except for you having some audio problems, but we're getting yeah. going and we're going to, you know, we'll get it done. Sorry about that, everyone listening. Um, I'm, I'm broadcasting from a submarine three miles under the ocean, so. It seems like every every morning we try to record and there's something going on. Either I have issues or Jason has issues, but that's uh, par for the course with podcasting. Yep. But I'll work on it and we'll we'll get this right for next week. Jason, what's going on in the news this morning? How was your week? It's a pretty busy week. It started on Sunday, actually, when I think it was Four Lomna Zuckus reported a link to the Vintage Collection. There was a Mandalorian build-up pack that was supposed to be part of Mando Monday, and that sold out within like an hour. Um, but it, it turns out that it was the Din Djarin Vintage Collection pack-up with Mandalorian, the the child, um, Beskar bars, and the Camtono. Uh, that was eighteen dollars. Um, did you pick that up? I unfortunately I didn't pick anything up. It's a cool looking uh, figure, but that head sculpt just ruins it for me. Well, the the Black Series one was even worse because it looked like his face was swollen. Right. I really think on that Black Series, what they did is they took the picture of him leaning forward and used that as his head sculpt instead of you know using you know just taking a picture of him and using that as a head sculpt if yeah. you really look at it and you look at that picture i think that's what they did yep and that was the black series version that was released through target that sold out within like a minute yeah it's amazing how fast these things sell out did you get any of the retro collection figures i didn't i didn't order anything this go okay. around i'm um moth gideon one just reminds me so much of darth vader man it's like it's almost like they took a darth vader uh figure and put his head on it yeah i picked up that i i struggled for a little bit so this these all went live at four o'clock on monday and at four o'clock i tried to get four figures i tried to get the child the retro version the mandalorian the retro version moth gideon the vintage collection and the armor from the vintage collection and four o'clock rolls around the child wasn't available for pre-order, so I just clicked on the Mandalorian and those two vintage collection figures. It said pre-order, got it in my cart, went to go check out and said it was out of And I'm like, these freaking bots, they, they got this again and tried it again. I tried it for about five minutes and then suddenly the, the child came available, added him to the cart, four of them, and it was still saying out of stock. And then it just seemed to click and I was able to, to check out with everything and pre-order them. I like them, but I just haven't pulled the trigger and, and you know, you just, I've just got to watch what I buy right now. I like the style of the retro collection. I think they, they, you know, again, speak to that inner child, but they look like they were made to be simple for some reason when I look at them compared to like the original figures, it was like, this is the best they can do. This is the latest technology. But when I look at these newer ones, it's like these guys just made it a little too simple. I, I don't know. I can't explain it. Right. I, I get what you're saying. I think they're trying to throw back to the 80s technology on stuff. It looks cool. I'm looking at them right now through the Hasbro website. And yeah, I like the way they look. The capes kind of throw me off just because yeah. like you said, it, it, you know, the Mando cape doesn't look like it's not a cape like that. It's, it's one that's draped over his shoulder or whatever. But, you know, as far as it being looking like it's coming, they look straight out of the 80s. Yeah. You know, with the 2000 flare on them. 
Um, I do like the the Moth Gideon uh, three inch, uh, three and three quarter. I'm trying to find a picture that dark with the dark saber. Yep, that one looks cool. I probably will pick that one up just to have a dark saber. Yeah, I kind of wish they would have done that on the retro line. Maybe had his, you know, like the old school arm pop out with the with the dark saber on it. That would have been kind of cool. That would have been awesome. Just have like a black saber that just comes out of his arm. They missed an opportunity there. Yeah, they really did. Uh, but maybe that means he he loses. I don't know. You never know with these things because they'll throw you for a loop on the uh, on some of these toys. Everybody's like, look at this thing that that the Bando has now, and he uses it for five minutes in the show, but then they put it on a toy. Yep. And did you check out that bike, the, the speeder bike with the uh, Yoda on it, Baby Yoda? I did. That was I didn't pre-order that, but that's definitely on my want list. Yeah, I like how they they did the. Uh, the stand on it because I've got the old black series stand and it just, it's real plain, but this one looks like they did, uh, you know, did a little bit of upgrading and it actually looks like it's a ground. It looks like some ground. And then there's another child that we can collect <laughs> another version right. of them. Look, this one has a backpack. Yep. As some as another podcast puts, look, it has a new hat. <laughs> <laughs> we changed the arm just slightly. Dude, you check out the new pictures of the Razor Crest? Yeah, that thing looked awesome. I love the shiny metalized um, deco on it. It looks like it just came out of the show. Um, and I'm excited for the, the uh, off-world Jawa that can't, that's going to come if we reach that 17,000 um, buyer mark. Another vintage collection figure with the egg. Right. If, if that thing gets to 17,000, that'll make three figures that come with it. So that's pretty yeah. insane. That's awesome. Or, you know, it just, they just keep making that thing more and more valuable for that 350 mark. And, uh, you know, I do think it's smart that they released it as a Hasbro Pulse because every other collector out there, we'd wait six months and wait for it to drop to 50 bucks and then we'd buy it. But uh, I do like that stand. Yeah. Uh, I think the stand maybe should have been one of the first ones to come up. But, uh, you know, if that, if they reach that, you know, that stand and that Jawa, the stand will really make it display really awesome because it looks like it's in flight and then that jaw was cool the stand makes it feel like it's a higher end collectible and not just a toy where you can display it it's got a nice base on it that says the mandalorian with the logo on it and so i, I really like the stand the whole the first tier the ejection ejection um escape pod just seems so weird as a first goal it's like i can live without that i don't need that but i guess it adds to the playability and it is a toy but i would rather see that you know be the seventh goal uh yeah they, they should have just had that included and then maybe make the stand the first or second goal because i just pulled up a picture of that stand and it is it, it's a very cool looking stand it, it it has it may yeah like you said it makes it feel like a collectible more than a toy but yeah i'm excited to get that i can't it's, you know so like I have to wait a, a year now, and that's going to be. A, is it a year out? Yeah, they said next fall is when they would actually arrive. Wow. So have you have you backed it, or you're just waiting? Um, I'm gonna back it. <laughs> I've been delaying it, but it's like, come on, just just get it, because you are gonna get it. Right. I just need to come up with the 350 bucks, and then justify spending 350 bucks on a modern piece versus going and buying a, a vintage piece. That's what sucks about being a collector. You're always you know, when you when you spend a chunk of change like that on a on a on a modern piece, it's like, man, I could have bought carded figure I've been looking at, or you know that. Now you can't get a first shot 
a vintage, but you can maybe buy a first shot modern or, or you know, come pretty close to, to getting something you've been wanting for a while. Yeah, up until recently, I would say that modern collecting is easier on the wallets, but the just been overwhelming. And uh, like we kind of been saying for the past couple of weeks, we're going to, I'm going to have to take a break at some point because it's just too much. And that was the thing with Mando Monday this past week. I'm like, they just released a bunch. And I, and I kind of anticipated that Hasbro might have like one of those Mondays and that the next Monday might be something else. Like, you know, they had the waffle maker, they had the Instapot this past week. And I thought, you know, that those kind of products might be a week itself. Funko might have a week itself, but it was just all on this one Monday. And I'm like, this is, I'm going to be so battered and bruised by the end of this Mando Mondays. If, if every week there's something new Hasbro. Is it every week or is it once a month? I thought it was every Monday. And you know, we'll get into the episode um, later in this podcast so we don't spoil it. So if, if you want to talk, if we want to talk Mandalorian, we can talk spoilers and people can turn off the, the podcast before if they hadn't watched that episode. But, you know, I'm thinking, you know, if you introduce a character on on friday that monday you're going to see that figure they release that as a figure i'd, I'd have to get it because that, that's going to be a cool looking cool looking figure i also like the thing i really love about mando and i'm jumping the gun right now but i'll get into it later but <laughs> i like the fact that they're releasing more different different cosplay ideas and releasing more characters and releasing different ways to dress up as a person uh because it's going to force all these costuming clubs to allow uh, all that because now it's quote unquote canon. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, my week was pretty boring, dude. As far as Star Wars goes, I did get a uh, a new droid head from uh, Batu, and I painted that up because I wanted uh, I got one of the R five heads so I can put a face on it. How'd you get that? I, I got it off one of the uh, Facebook groups, one of the droid builders Facebook book groups. They've got people uh, that are, they've got actually people. I don't. They don't charge a whole lot of money because it's only twenty five dollars with shipping. Um, you know, they'll go to Disney and pick up a bunch of spare parts. They'll do the sabers. They'll do the, uh, the droids and, uh, you just, they'll ship them out. I guess they do it just to kind of give them an excuse to go to Disney. Uh, and then there's also some people that'll do the savvies run and it's like 280 with shipping to, you know, and they'll record it and make your saber the way you want it to. And you added teeth to yours, like Hondo's droid. Yeah, I did. I, I put a teeth on it and then I took the, uh, the bad motivator where it blew up and kind of in the back made, made a, a really nice burn mark. That's awesome. I may have dirtied them up a little bit too much, but it's star Wars. It's not supposed to be clean. Yeah. I don't think you can get it too dirty in star Wars, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way it turned out and it gives my droid another, you know, another feel. Yep. You can change that out. Yeah. I, I pre-ordered all that stuff. And then I went to Walmart. I was having a rough day on Thursday and I needed to get out of the office. So I went to a Walmart that was kind of out in the middle of nowhere and stumbled upon the, um, the Walmart exclusive, the Mandalorian loyalist, which uh -huh. is my, it's my understanding that one's tough to get. I had told somebody in our group that I would pick up, pick up one, but I completely forgot because I was just having a crappy day and I sent him a picture of what I had and I posted it to our group. And within an hour, um, all the loyalists were gone. So those are in high demand right now. And if you can grab one, get one, because chances are you're not going to see it again. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. I've seen the the Darth Maul version, that Mando, and then I've seen uh, the Carbonite Mandalorian, the three and three quarter a couple of times. But I just, you know, I have it in my hands and I'm like, oh, should I get it? And it just, I, I end up putting it back because I don't want to 
you know, open up that can of worms. It's good that you listen to that good angel on your shoulder because chances are I wouldn't. Cool looking figure, but then I'm already like, how many modern figures do I need? Yeah, I'm going to have to have an honest conversation with myself going forward and saying, I just don't need the repacks or, you know, updated deco. If they change the face out, it's like, is that really worth getting this figure when there's other figures that I want to buy? So I'm just going to have to make some rules for myself as to, because I was trying to be pretty completionist with um, the Black Series, but it's getting to the point where it's just, I can't, I can't get them all. When they re-released all the Rebels uh, figures, I was like, crap, here we go. I'm going to have to spend another hundred bucks. And then they're like, oh, we just updated the faces. So I was like, oh, all right, cool. I just saved myself a hundred dollars because I don't have to buy them. Uh, and then you see them and I could see, you know, maybe redoing the Sabine. Uh, she looks really good. The hair looks good, but it's not to me, it's not worth the extra money to uh, redo those figures. That was a perfect opportunity to put Chopper in that Imperial disguise too and, and to change things up a little bit, but it is what it is. I've actually got a custom Chopper that uh, one of the guys in the club gifted me last Christmas that uh, he somebody had painted up in the Imperial disguise and it, it the guy did an incredible job with it. That's awesome. It's a cool figure to have. How do you feel about, did you see on all this Mando Monday stuff that to get the, the Stormtrooper, you have to buy the $50 Monopoly set? Yes, I did see that, <laughs> which sucks because that's a that's a troop builder right there, and nobody is going to buy ten of those uh, monopoly sets to get ten remnant stormtroopers. It's just uh, that I mean, you should have put the Mandalorian in that one, to be honest. Yeah, that would have made more sense. And again, if you, if you're a completionist like me, you're going to buy yet another monopoly game. Yeah, as I was walking downstairs to get ready for the podcast, I saw we had a Walking Dead monopoly game, and I'm like, why the heck do we have that? Yeah, I have the original Trilogy Monopoly game. I have the um, so one Monopoly game. I didn't get any of the the Force Awakens, uh, Last Jedi versions, but uh, Mandalorian, it, I love the Mandalorian. I love Monopoly, so chances are I'll probably pick this one up. I'm trying to pull it up right now, and it's, my computer's being a little slow, so I can look at it. But yeah, I, I, I feel you, because you can only play one version of Monopoly at a time. Even though it, you know, it is cool. They got the. It looks like they have the best car credits and stuff. Probably be a cool version, but yeah, like you said, how many versions of Monopoly do you need? The last time, and you know, I play Monopoly with my family. The last time we played Monopoly, which was maybe a couple months ago, we started at eight. It wasn't a school night, and we played till about midnight. It ended with tears, and I, I love Monopoly. It is a cutthroat game. Um, it's the only time where I allow myself to be cutthroat. Like for the rest of the for the rest of my life, I'm pretty straight-laced and kind and pleasant to people. But when it comes to Monopoly, if I see someone crying, I will laugh in your face. And that game did not end well. And I don't think my family will ever play Monopoly with me again. <laughs> You're such a jerk, Jason. I know. I know. So don't play Monopoly is what I'm saying. Don't play Monopoly with me. Right. My grandmother refused to play Monopoly for that very reason because it was long and it ended in tears. During spring, uh, summer break at school, my brother and I would play Monopoly and he would always steal money. And I did not find out about it until years later that he was cheating for years without me knowing because he would always want to be the banker. Whenever I would turn my back, he would slip a $500 bill. And so I guess that's just the environment where I grew up where it was just cutthroat, you know, you got to win. Brotherly love right there. Yeah, that's brotherly yeah. love. I know it's off topic, but you know, I love Monopoly and, ch and chances are I'll get this. So uh, Star Wars' YouTube channel has been releasing these Your Star Wars stories where they interview someone and they talk about the first time they saw Star Wars, 
how it made them feel, how it impacted their life, how it affects them today, years later. And so I thought it would be a great idea if Glenn and I just went through our Star Wars story just as a way to introduce ourselves to the audience um, and, and learn a little bit more about each other as we talk about Star Wars. So with that, um, Glenn, what is your Star Wars story? My Star Wars story is basically, you know, it starts off like everybody, you know, you're five or six years old and you get the, the figures, you know, you're not really sure. Um, I knew the figures before I knew the, the, uh, the movies, but they were always there. Uh, always had the toys as a kid. You know, I, I had a Boba Fett and I played with that till the paint fell off. Uh, you know, all my friends had the toys. So you, it was always there. Uh, you know, I remember seeing Return of the Jedi in the theater. I remember waiting in line uh, in New Orleans to buy tickets. And, you know, you're there two, three hours early. So because it was that big of a movie. And this was, you know, way before the, line, the time of Fandango. You know, you're waiting in line and, and getting to see Return of the Jedi, which was just cool, which added to it, which, you know, we kind of lost today because of, of all that. But, you know, I've, I've always been a Star Wars fan. I went through the dark times in, in high school. I was graduated in 93. So you, you're, you're dealing with the dark times, which really stunk. Nobody liked Star Wars in the early 90s. When I, you know, late 80s, early 90s, people were just like, you know, Star Wars is for geeks. So I, I, I kind of was, was, was an outcast in, in, in high school with Star Wars. When I went to Hollywood Studios, you get to ride Star Tours and, and live that for the first time. And, you know, that was, that was amazing. After I graduated high school and you started going on your way, Power of the Force 2 came out, which reignited everything for me. And of course, you know, I was out at midnight and my kids were, I, I started really young with kids. So they were two and three and we were, at, you know, at midnight at Walmart buying up everything and everybody was looking at us like we were crazy. And, and unfortunately, I never was able to display. I always wanted to have a room to display them and I never was able to. So after a, after a time you end up selling them and you, you take what you can get and you take the money and run. I'd gone through a bad divorce. You're, you're kind of trying to find yourself again. You know, you're, you're scrolling Facebook and that's when I first saw the Christian Wagner, Boba Fett. Mm. And you find that and you're like, okay, cool. You know, Star Wars is, this is what I need to do. This is how I found myself was I remember liking Star Wars and I've always liked Star Wars and let me dive back into this to make, what am I going to do? Basically it's what am I going to do to make myself happy? It was Star Wars. Star Wars was what I found. Star Wars brought me back to my childhood. It brought, brought me back to my happy place. Yeah. And at that time I found the, the Christian Wagner Boba Fett piece with it's Boba Fett with the staring at Han Solo and Carbonite in his visor. And I fell in love with his work. And uh, while I was on a trip um, with a buddy of mine, we'd stopped at a, a flea market and I saw a 12 inch stormtrooper and picked that up. And that was really the first thing that ignited my love of Star Wars again. Saving you is a strong word, but it saves you. You know, it saves you from a dark place. It saves you from going down into depression when you're, when you're going through stuff in your life. And that's sort of where it, it pulled me out of that. I wasn't going down, you know, you, you, you're kind of going down that road, but then it, you find something you love, Star Wars for me. And it, it brings you out and it brings you back to your childhood. It brings you back to that happier time. That's sort of my, you know, so Star Wars, it, it, it's really close to me because it does, it did help me out in a really rough time. You know, a few months later, probably, you know, I met my current wife and she was like, okay, you want to buy Star Wars stuff? Go for it. It started off where I was just going to do my, my uh, childhood collection, I was just going to redo my childhood collection. And I, okay, cool. I'm, and when I got to that point, I was like, I'm, I'm going to stop. And, and I really wish I would have kept going at that time because 
stuff was so cheap. Now it's outrageous. And I still, you know, I snuck in completing my, my 70, my 92 bat, my 92 run, right, right when stuff was starting to, to shoot up. Long story short, doing all that stuff, you meet people, you know, I met a guy named Shane, I met Shane Patrick through her Shane Kelly. He goes by a couple of different names on Facebook. But anyway, you know, we met through some of these Facebook groups. And then we met Justin. I met Justin through him and then ended up going to Celebration. And I hang out with those two guys down at Celebration in Orlando. On the way back, we, we, you know, we'd been toying with the idea of starting a club. That Celebration was sort of the, the catalyst to start what we, you know, the Georgia Alliance and to start this uh, podcast. That's sort of my Star Wars story. And this, you know, that was 17, three years ago. And, you know, the club is just, it's taken off. And yeah, I, th- I think I'm in a lot better place than I was. That's great. You know, eight, eight, nine years ago. Yeah. That's all because Star Wars brought you out of something that was a funk. And I don't want to put it just as a funk, but I'm just going to word it that way. Brought you to, to today. And that's a great story. It's very inspiring. What happened to your childhood collection? I'm curious. I actually, when I was 15, I moved to Georgia. It was sort of some bad circumstances. And I'd come uh, up here to visit my dad for two weeks and never went back. I don't know what happened to my star, my childhood collection. I wish I knew. Uh, but I heard a rumor uh, a few years after I moved up here that all my stuff was sitting in a yard sale. Uh, so somebody out there's got it. But uh, what's your Star Wars story, Jason? I was born in 79. So I missed the initial run of Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back Return of the Jedi. I do remember seeing Return of the Jedi in the theaters, maybe when I was about six years old, five or six. And I, what I really stuck, sticks out in my head is that last, towards the end of the movie, when Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker are fighting with their lightsabers, there's a shot with the black and the blue background mixed with their red and green lightsabers and for some reason that just is ingrained in my my brain because of the colors I just kind of remember thinking wow this is this is so cool all those colors and when you're a kid you're learning your color so it just really popped and made an impression on me so I think that's one of my first experiences with Star Wars in the theater but I did have a lot of the toys growing up a lot of the Return of the Jedi toys I remember getting the mail away Emperor in, in the mail and just my mind was exp- my mind was blown because I was like oh my goodness you can get toys in the mail and this was before Amazon and all this stuff obviously but as a kid you just go to the toy store you get your toy and then suddenly toys are coming in the mail and I was just like oh my goodness this is so amazing but then later in, in the 80s I remember walking into my family room and all my He-Man stuff was in one pile and all my Star Wars stuff was in another pile and my parents were trying to clean up a little bit. And my dad said that he doesn't think Star Wars had a future. And obviously, He-Man was still on TV. Um, so they decided to donate all of my childhood stuff. So that was the Imperial Shuttle. I remember having speeder bikes, the, the Emperor. Um, I had a Luke Skywalker. I had a bunch of them. But yeah, that's all gone. And then the Dark Times came in. And I just kind of moved on without it. Because I don't think I had the big gravity pull that a lot of people had late. 70s early 80s because I was so young that it made such a big impression on me and so growing up I was never really felt like I needed to reclaim those toys until Micro Machines came out. Uh, Micro Machines was big with me and my brother we would collect the regular Micro Machines and then they came out with the Star Wars Micro Machines and we started getting those and those were a lot of fun to play with. We would go my parents were divorced my mom lived in New York my dad lived in Miami so every summer we would go down and, and live with my dad and you know we're in a new city we don't know anybody 
we would play with these micro machines. We would set up the play sets in different parts of the house and we would just let our imaginations run wild. I think I was about 13 years old, but I was still playing with micro machines. And, and then Power of the Force 2 came out and I started getting those. I remember getting the Luke Skywalker and thinking he's rather buff, but it's a Star Wars figure and I'm, I love Star Wars. So I started with that and that continued throughout high school and take a lot of inspiration from Star Wars. Um, in my life, I'm, I'm very creative. I'm making videos, I'm writing things. I remember watching the Force Awakens trailer and feeling the, the first teaser trailer and feeling really pumped and amped and running to my computer and just started writing. Um, I just was feeding off of that creativity and uh, I have a career now as a communications and professional with them. Um, and I use some videography in that. And, you know, I really try to take inspiration from Star Wars and really try to push myself to do something different and new. I try not to repeat myself. My first full Star Wars experience, I would say, is The Phantom Menace in 99, because uh, we did Midnight Madness. I saw The Phantom Menace three times in the theater that day. I went to class in the morning. I went to the 11 o'clock show. I went to like a three o'clock show with some friends. And as I was leaving the theater, my dad was already in line for the next show. So I just got, I got out of the theater and literally got back into line to see it again that night. So I have a lot of fond memories of The Phantom Menace. It's not as bad of a movie to me as I think a lot of people think. Um, to me, I don't like Attack of the Clones as, as far as the prequels go. But Phantom Menace was a lot of fun. I, I remember the Midnight Madness was just, Star Wars was everywhere at Toys R Us. You'd walk in and that whole front section was Star Wars and you'd go down the action figure line and it was all Star Wars compared to now where it's just a small little section. Um, it's a far cry of what it used to be. But I guess they overdid it in the Phantom Menace time too. And that's why they don't make as many figures because there was a lot that was just left over. And So for, for most of my life, Star Wars was just an isolated individual me um, collecting things and Again, I guess that 2017 celebration down in Orlando, I went down there and with my, my family and we just went for a day and we were walking around and I saw the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Group and I was living in, in New York at the time in Syracuse and I walked up to the booth and introduced myself and I figured, you know, New York is a big state, but a majority of the stuff that happens is down in New York City. That's where the density of the population of New York is. And I just figured that whoever I talk to will live down there and I probably won't be able to make it down to those meetups or anything like that. So I just introduced myself and actually met um, a guy named Fonz who lived literally a mile away from my house. And so it was just crazy to me that I had to travel all the way down from Syracuse, New York to Orlando, Florida to meet someone who lived a mile away and has an incredible Star Wars collection. And that was my first foray into this, this community of the Star Wars community. And when we moved from Syracuse to Georgia, I was scrolling through Facebook trying to find a group and found the Georgia group. And I think a lot of my um, big interactions with Star Wars lately and some of my favorite interactions has been through these communities and, and seeing people's collections and how they display things, um, talking to them about their collections and learning, you know, how does Star Wars relate to their lives and why they collect the things that they collect. A lot of people focus on one particular item and it's always fun to learn about that and i think for you it's that chris christian wagner stuff i mean they say his name right yes yeah christian wagner stuff um and learning about you know why you like it so much and how how that made an impression and how much it kind of resonated with you and it, it pulled you out at a time that you needed to see that so yeah i think that's my star wars story <laughs> yeah that's awesome I, you do have you know an impressive collection of micro machines and i love your story 
uh, behind it, how you, you know, you and your brother played with it. And, you, you know, it just, it holds a special place in your heart. And that's what I, that's the one thing I really like about going to people's collections is you find that one item or, or one thing they gravitate towards. And that's why they collect it, you know, yeah. like micro machines, you know, it's not, I don't want to say it's not that popular or whatever. Um, but you, it's just, it's not, I, I guess I don't want to call it odd or anything, but you know, you wouldn't expect it in somebody's collection. And yet you've got this huge collection of it. And you're like, well, this is what me and my brother played with. And part of it's one of these is mine. One of these is his. And, you know, that's why I've got it. And I've kept on to them all these years. And it, it does, I kind of envy people like you who have pieces that they played with when they were kids, you know, because that makes that piece more special. I mean, that's why we collect. We collect the things that we love. We love Star Wars. And I think it shows in collections. Micro Machines is not like the top tier of collecting. I think the vintage stuff takes first place and a lot of the modern stuff because that 3.75 scale is what really resonates with people, but um, Micro Machines, for some reason, just hit me at the right time, in the right situation. My brother and I were just playing with it and letting our ma imaginations run wild, and that's that's what we love. And we collect what we love. But that's like me and the ceramics, the bootleg ceramics. I, I love that stuff, too, because my grandmother did ceramics, and uh, if I can find them at a cheap price, I, I pick them up. I'd love to get a mold of a, you know, a ceramic mold or something, but I just haven't, you know, ha haven't had the opportunity. And I just found out somebody posted that they're coming out with a whole new line of make your own ceramics uh, mm. this year. So I, I'm looking forward to checking those out just, just to kind of go back and maybe paint one up and, and put it to my collection. So just as an homage to my grandmother. That's great. And, and going back to Christian, it just, it blows my mind that I've got so much of his stuff and, and, and I consider him a friend and that blows my mind too. But and it comes from, it comes from this club and it comes from, you know, just knowing people you're able to somebody who you, who you love, you know, you know, love their work and they know who you are. And it's just, it's just with this, this is a good community, uh, Star Wars people and, and the Georgia, just, Star Wars people in general, it, it, it's fun. And, you know, hearing your, your story about meeting Fonz at Celebration, because that's how me and Justin finally hung out, was driving eight hours to, you know, we, you know, it's the same. We don't live as close as, you know, a mile, but, you know, we're 20 minutes apart, 20, 30 minutes apart. And it took us driving to Orlando to really hanging out, just like with you and Fonz, y'all are a couple of miles apart and you had to drive, you know, fly down to Orlando. And another thing, the great thing about how my experience and your experience has kind of evolved you know, we've gone from kind of being by ourselves to meeting people who enjoy collecting to actually the, the content creators themselves. You, you're now friends with the thing that you're, that brought you back into the collecting community. You're, you're friends with Christian and, you know, we as part of the Georgia group. We're, we're interviewing people for the summer social who design these toys and um, hearing them talk about what, what it, what it was like to be in those office buildings designing these toys and, and getting the, the licenses for Star Wars and developing X-Wings and all this stuff. It's all because of the community aspect of Star Wars, which is a whole new thing that just, I guess, has exploded for me. And it sounds like it's exploded for you in the past three years, which is one aspect of Star Wars that I absolutely love. If you guys ever do make it to a celebration, start talking to the person in front of you and behind you in line, because you're going to be there for hours waiting for a panel or waiting to get, get in and you know, make a friend, make some swag, make make up a business card, you know, with your information. So you can just hand it to people. Celebration is the Mecca when it comes to Star Wars, but being at a local toy show is fun for me because you know so many people in the community and, uh, you know, you get to talk shop and 
a lot of times I'll look at one of the guys that, that runs Toyland and we talk and it's, we'll tell each other every time we go, yeah, the toy show's fun, but it's fun seeing you. It's fun seeing these people that I haven't seen in a while, especially with, with COVID. They're starting to do outdoor shows and, and you're able to meet, you know, talk to the people and stuff. And, and uh, it's just being in the community is fun. Yeah. So get out there. Yeah. I mean, as I get older, I, I begin to realize that, you know, Star Wars is great, but it's just a thing. All we really have in this world is each other. And that's what makes life beautiful and really talking to people, learning about them. That's, that's what I believe personally is, is what life is all about. So it's just great to have, and I'm an introvert, so it's great to have a common base that we can build off of Star Wars and talk to each other and, and learn and, and relate. Now, hundred percent agree with that because you know, in the club, we have people that are, oh, I just collect modern. I don't have a, you know, really, really awesome, you know, vintage collection like a lot of you guys do. And I look right at them and I go, but you collect Star Wars, right? And they go, yeah. I said, that's what it boils down to. It's that's all it. about the community. It's all about learning. And, and, you know, you may not have a good vintage collection, but if you got a question, you can come to us and, and help, you know, we can help you out along the way. And just like with, if I got a modern question, I can call you and be like, hey, man, what's going on with this? And, and you know, you're, you, you know it. Absolutely. I'm always willing to help. If anyone ever needs anything, I'll do what I can to learn about it and give you uh, my opinion. You want to move on to Mandalorian? Yeah, let's do it. So if you're uh, listening and you haven't seen uh, Chapter 9, The Marshal of the Mandalorian, stop now. Otherwise, um, we're going into spoiler territory here. Right. It, it's spoilers. We talked about, can we do it without spoiling it? And there's just so much stuff that happens in this episode. And it's just so awesome. There, there's no way around it. Those that don't want to hear it, we'll see you next week. And those that are hearing it, let, let's uh, go on. Let's do this. Yeah, so we start off on an unnamed planet where uh, the Mandalorian is walking into a, um, a fight. Two Gamorrean guards are fighting each other for sport and gambling. And we meet Gore Korish, who was voiced by John Leguizamo, who plays like a um, gangster of sorts. It's another ca uh, cantina alien. His name, uh, he's a Abyssian, I guess this is his alien name. I'm reading this off of some notes that I put down. I thought it was a very exciting opening. I love how at the end of season one, the Mandalorian kind of has a heart because he's taking care of friends and he's taking care of the child. But here you realize, oh, and you also think he's not, not as ruthless as when he starts off, but here he's leaving someone hanging to, to die, basically. I mean, these creatures are coming out and they're going to eat him alive and uh, it's great to see that he still has his ruthless um, side. It showed that the Mandalorian is, is learning his armor, uh, you know, and he's not afraid to use it because he used that, that tow cable and he used uh, to hang the guy up. And he just, he was such a badass when he, when he shot the guy in the legs and then hung him up from the lights. And it's like, it was effortless to him. And he, you know, it's like, oh, I've done this a hundred times before when he did that. What did you think of the, uh, the Gamorrean guards? I know you, you got, you like those guys. Oh, I love that scene. That really, was incredible because you play with the the vibro axe and it looks like just an axe but then you actually see it live working and and kind of having like a force field around it it's not that it's going to cut someone it's like the force the blunt force is going to knock you out which was pretty cool seeing those axes in 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 action was cool uh and just kind of a throwback you know you always hear about the vibro blades and uh the the in the first season when the Mandalorian and the heavy, the, the Vizsla 
they got into it when they pull their knives off there you you don't it only takes a second but they're vibrating and you're like yes oh my god <laughs> you know you finally see a vibro blade in action it, it's just little things like that that makes this show that much better yeah it just adds that rich layer to it that I think is the the toppings on top of the, the sweet treat. I guess in this whole season, he's going to be looking for Mandalorians to help him along the way find uh, the child and his species. But all the Mandalorians are in hiding, so he really needs to do a good search to find Mandalorians to help him out. And the first Mandalorian he learns about is on Tatooine. Goosebumps. Yeah, and so he, he travels back and he lands where he's been before with Amy Sedaris playing the same character from the last season um, as like a, a, a docking bay attendant or an owner. And she's collecting money and, and storing things and fixing things up. She's actually fixing up a pod racer engine when we see her in this, this episode. I think her character last season was a little bit too much here. I think it was the right amount where it's, it's charming, it's good, but it's not too much. Yeah, I think they, they tried overdoing it a little bit last season and tried to give her a little bit of comedy relief. And, and, and I think they, like you said, found the right, uh, right mix. Uh, we'll see when, when she comes back around, when Mando goes to pick up his ship, how she acts. Casting's interesting on this show because they're hiring a lot of comedians with um, Horatio Sands playing the blue guy from episode or chapter one, a Amy Sedaris, Bill Burr. There's a lot of comedians that they hired. And it, it helps having that comedy relief in the in the show because I think, uh, like we talked last time, how we liked having that little bit of comic relief, yeah. like when uh, you know the birds of prey come up and, and Baby Yoda just hits his pram and shuts it down and is like, all right, let's let's see what you're gonna do. So from there, the Mandalorian travels to Mos Pelgo, Pelgo, which I guess is also known as Freetown, and this is where my screaming started. Be uh, started happening when I was watching the episode. You waited that long? As soon as I saw the title, I went, holy crap, Jason has it right. I knew it was happening. I think there was some buildup, but that reveal when you see Cobb Vanth in the doorway, you know, they they shot that as, as if the Mandalorian was riding in on his horse into town, the way he was just kind of looking at people and they were just sitting out on the front porch. And I, I really appreciated all of that iconic western filmography or cinematography um that they included here uh even when he walks into the bar you can almost imagine there's those push doors like the half doors that you kind of push open you can kind of see that it was the same kind of angle as he walks in he talks to the bartender which was a weak way um i love seeing again uh original trilogy characters in this and then you know he says i'm looking for a guy with mandalorian armor and the weak way he goes you can ask yourself about it ask him yourself and then there's the reveal what did you think of that yeah i was just blowing my mind because i was like oh i i was giving you props in my head because like you, you you got it right and, and just seeing that armor again and and like i said earlier i i look more at that's going to be an awesome character character to cosplay or at least this character is going to force the 501st and the mandalorian mercs to change you know change their costuming rules because I, I've always wanted to build a costume like that, but not, you know, wanted to build a Mandalorian costume, but not not overdo it and do it real light. Seeing the armor again was just amazing. And and what was funny is when uh, Cobb Vance comes up and, and sits down and gets the, the, the drink, if you watch, when he sits down and he takes his helmet off, yeah, you can almost see the the whoever was in the armor at that moment would played it perfect because you could feel the disappointment when the helmet comes off. Yes. The Mandalorian 
thinking that this is a Mandalorian, the second that helmet comes off, he's just like, oh no, this is this is an imposter. And you feel that. Timothy, is it Ol- how, how do you pronounce his last name? I think it's like Elephant, Oliphant. He was the perfect casting for that guy because he's old school. He's, he's played that role a dozen times before and it's just an old school Western cowboy that just happens to have Boba Fett's armor on. The whole time he's walking in the bar, and he's got that armor on. I'm like, is that, is that, is that it? Is that it? And he puts the helmet, he takes the helmet off. He puts it on the table and there's a close up on the helmet. That's when I jumped up and I started screaming, that's Boba Fett's helmet. And I, <laughs> my son started laughing at me, but it was just pure joy to see Disney, Disney bought Star Wars in what, 2012. And, and since then they've done absolutely nothing with Boba Fett, which is, a star character and they've been saving it for something and they've been saving it for this moment. And so this was just for me, the climax of, of waiting. I mean, it was just, Oh my God, it's here. I would much rather wait those 12 years and get this, get what we're getting than getting him pop up in the background of a movie somewhere. This is what they've been waiting for. And thankfully we're, we're finally getting it and and they're, they're doing it right. Yep. Absolutely. And they're adding layers to it. So it's, it's not just Boba Fett, it's his armor. There's, there's another story here that I thought was interesting. We said last week, these guys are nerds and they, they ad-libbed the story a little bit because of time, but what you said last week, they, they pretty much kept true to that story. Rocket firing Boba Fett armor. I mean, it's just great. When he shot the rocket, he did like the three and three quarter figure, how they had it all set oh. up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know when it, when they show yes, him bending over, like every time he fired, he bent over and fired it. Yes, because he could have just stood there and shot it up, and you know it could have made like a go straight up in the air, come back down like it's being pulled by gravity. But no, he bent over like he's a three point seven five action figure, and he shot it out. That was great. And then from there, they go out to talk to some Tuscan Raiders, but and we learn a little bit more about Cobb Vanth, but he's riding a uh, pod racer engine it looks just like anakin's pod racer so that was a cool throwback i had i had trouble with that i felt like that was a little too far for some reason and i can't pinpoint exactly why um but i I guess that was just a little too much fan servicey i don't think yeah maybe a little bit fan service maybe it isn't anakin's i mean i don't think it is but it sure to heck looks like it i like the kit bash feel that they're going for this show and it, it it feels like they said, all right, I've got a pod racer engine. I need a, a, you know, a speeder bike. Here's a pod racer engine. Let me slap a shit seat on it and I'm good to go. Yeah, I don't want to make a big point of it. I just felt, you know, there's, I guess in the, in the, in the universe, there's so many different pod racers and pod racer engines. And, and for him to pick this one and to end up on this show, I just felt like it was a little too much fan service. But I think for the rest of the episode, it's, it's great. So I'm just going to ignore it and move on. But from there, they they go they go meet Tuscan Raiders. They they kind of negotiate how. So the big the big problem is that the Mandalorian wants Boba Fett's armor because it's Mandalorian armor. It doesn't belong to Cobb Vanth. It belongs to Mandalorians. But there's this uh, crate dragon which we've seen in Episode Four, but we've never actually seen a live action um, piece like this before. And so what they need to do is they make an arrangement that if the Mandalorian helps kill this dragon that's been plaguing the town that he can have the armor so they enlist the help of Tuscan raiders and i felt this this part got a little sluggish for me and i think it's because 
you know, out of all these Tuscan Raiders and even some of the villagers, there's only two people that I care about, but there's a lot of just them talking and building up for the third act. And I felt like this part got a little slow for me. What, what did you think? Uh, maybe a little bit. Uh, I did like the, the fact that you're developing this character that we don't know a whole lot about, you know, and their communication and stuff. It may have got it a little slow. I think a lot of shows like that, the middle act, just it it bogs down and it's like, okay, we got to have a montage. So yeah. here comes the music and everybody gets ready to, to fight. Yeah, I think there, yeah, absolutely. I don't mean to lead you down that, that road. I mean, if you thought it was great, then, then say it. But I think, you know, that's a problem with these buildup scenes from act two to act three, that it, it can be slow and it's tough to make that transition. But once we get to act three, Oh my goodness, thank the maker. This thing was incredible. And after you said that, thank the maker, I, I really thought going, I'm gonna jump backwards a little bit when yeah. she sees baby Yoda in the in the uh the droid pit or the yeah. docking bay. She says, make thank the force. And I was like, damn it, why'd you say that? It should have been thank the maker. But I, I think if the, you know, maybe it'd have been too much fan service, but uh, what you gonna do? You can't you can't win them all. But yeah, going back to act three, I, I thought that was that whole fight scene was was incredible. My my theory about the Think the Maker versus Think the Force. So it's a living thing, the Force, and it, and it surrounds us, penetrates us. It, it works off of living people. The uh, droids are not living; they're created. So when C three PO says Thank the Maker, he's thanking his creator, which is a human. But humans wouldn't say Thank the Maker; they would say Thank the Force. I like that. So that's where I think that comes in. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I don't think a human would ever say thank the maker. I think we say it because it's a line from Star Wars and it's it's that, but I think a human would say thank the force. You haven't been wrong yet on your theory, so I will I will yield the floor that to you. And, and right. I'm not going to argue that. That makes a heck of a lot of sense. So what did you think of Act 3 here? I really dug it. I What I like is um, Cobb, he knew how to use that armor. He, yeah. you know, spent time in that armor. When him and the Mandalorian take off and, you know, go after that dragon, I was just like, whoa, you know, because he may not have been a Mandalorian, but he rep I think he represented the, the armor well, you know, and, and like I said, he learned the backpack and learned everything. And I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but the, the fight scene was cool. I thought it was kind of funny when, uh, this may be actually act two, but when the dragon ate the the sand person and Mandalorian yeah. goes, I think we're going to need a new plan. Yeah. It chug, you chuckle a little bit. That was cool to see the sand person just running for his life. And, and it doesn't matter. This guy just comes, this dragon just comes lumbering along and eats him and that's it. It was just like, I'm tired of these games. The crate dragon was kind of thinking, I'm tired of these games. And it was funny to see sand people run because it's like, I didn't think they had it in them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the whole crate dragon thing was just like something I would expect to read in a, a novel or a um, comic book. It had the scope and scale of those movies, but it didn't have the characters from the movies, which is why I don't think I would ever see something like this. But to see the dragon and some of those cinematic shots just coming out of the top of that rocky formation, the mountain there, um, and then the Mandalorian and, and Cobb Vanth flying up there and shooting him, I thought that was just, it was an incredible um ending for this one episode i was impressed with how fast that thing can move because you know one minute's in front of them one minute's in the air one minute it's behind them uh you know so it it, it kept you on edge because you didn't know where he was coming from next mm -hmm. absolutely yeah it was it was more of a threat 
and I, I kind of like the throwback when uh, Mandalorian is like, okay, we're going to end this. And uh, he looks at Cobb and is like, okay, uh, you know, what do you want me to do? And he goes, I want you to protect the child. And he hits the backpack, you know, throw back to Han Solo hitting it. And he takes yeah. off just like it did in, in Return of the Jedi. And he just kind of flies away. And you can almost hear him scream just like Boba Fett did uh, from that one scene. So it was, you know, there again, more fan service. They do it so well in The Mandalorian. One detail I think I picked up is that when the Mandalorian does that to the jetpack, the jetpack doesn't work right. It's almost like the de the defect that Han Solo caused that jetpack came through there because he was kind of spinning as as he flew through the air. Yeah, it's like he wasn't expecting it and didn't have control of it. So yeah, I I I could see that. And even even at the end when they finally hand over the when Cobb hands over the Mandalorian armor, he says something like, "I, I didn't I didn't break it." Han Solo did. Exactly. You could kind of, somebody said you could see that the backpack was repaired. Uh, I don't know what, you know, I, I saw that there was like a piece of silver, uh, silver bracket or something on it. And I'm not sure yeah. if that's part of the backpack or not. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that. That whole episode, just seeing the armor, you know, even more beat up than what it was. And you could kind of see, you know, still see the mythoscore on the, on the, the, the shoulder piece. But you definitely, you could tell the, the FET crest was still there on the shoulder. So there was no mistake in uh, whose armor that was. And it was, it was the return of the Jedi art um, deco on it too, which was the yellows and the blues and the reds. And I really appreciated that, that detail. Right. So when I finished this episode, <laughs> the first thing that popped in my mind was um, many, many Banthas died to bring us this episode. <laughs> I love seeing the Banthas, but they were just, they're bait. They love them, but they treat them, you know, they know what they are. And it's like, you know, if I got to, sacrifice a bantha to save a village who are going to sacrifice the bantha and then that leads us to the last shot of the episode <laughs> jesus christ that was amazing dude i i saw that and i was like who the heck is this it's okay why is the sand person not wearing his mask and, and, and then he turns around <laughs> and i was like i was speechless that reveal to me was better than the Darksaber reveal, just because we've been waiting to see Boba Fett for 30 years and we finally have him back. Yep. Or at least I freaking hope we have him back because I would be really pissed off if we found out that's Captain Rex. It can't be Rex because Rex was an old man by the time Return of the Jedi came around. So this is a younger version of that clone. So, it, I mean, chances are, uh, yes, there is a possibility that it could be someone else, but I am 100% certain this is Boba Fett who has been living in, this, in the sands of, of Tatooine and, and, and being a scavenger, almost like um, Obi-Wan was in, in the original trilogy. It took me a good hour just to process what I just saw because I had to, you know, I, I finished it and I had to get ready real quick and go to work and, and I have about an hour drive to work and, and you're just that whole commute is just like, Oh my God, I can't believe I just freaking saw what I saw. And it, it's just amazing. And, and going, I think they, they led us a little bit into how he survived because it was just a quick mention because uh, Cobb looks at the Mandalorian and is like, I've been on Tatooine my whole life and there's no such thing as an abandoned Sarlacc pit. And they're like, well, it is if you eat the Sarlacc. So huh. is that how Boba Fett survived? Possible. You, you know, because they, they did say that they've been watching that 
dragon for generations. And so you're right at, okay, generations, is that 10 years? Is it 50 years? You know, yeah. You know, so that the timeline fits. Yep. I had the opposite reaction. If you were speechless, I jumped off the couch. I got within three feet of the TV and I started screaming, it's Boba Fett! <laughs> and I was, my legs were shaking. I was so excited. My son was laughing at me. He didn't make the connection right away that it was played by Tamora Morrison, who played Jango Fett in the original, uh, excuse me, in Attack of the Clones and, and all the clones and stuff. So um, to see him come back and to see him on Tatooine and see him alive and I guess well, I, that was my first impression that 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 happened. And then he turned and he started facing the camera as he's walking by and he looked pissed off. And I'm like, oh, so he wants his armor back. He is becoming a villain for the Mandalorian. They're building up for it. And yeah. you know something's going to happen. You know, either, either the Mando is going to say, here's your armor and they're going to be best friends or they're going to fight. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be best friends. I think... Um, the Mandalorian is going to be pretty upset that someone is being a, an imposter. I, I went back and I did some research after that last episode we, re, we recorded, and um, the Mandalorians don't consider Jango Fett to be a Mandalorian. They, they consider him to be a mercenary and an imposter. I think that was mentioned in the Clone Wars. And so I think the Mandalorian is going to look at Boba Fett and say the same thing. It doesn't belong to you. You're not a Mandalorian. And then I think Boba Fett's going to think you know this is my identity this is belongs to me this is mine i haven't done the research but you know just thinking back in my head because you know it, it is it does hang with you it's like is boba fett and Django are they mandalorians or not if they mention it in the clone wars and that's what i got to go to saying that they're not because i've always kind of held on to that that as much as i love boba fett and i love mandalore he boba fett's not a mandalorian there's there's a disconnect there but I think Jango Fett claims, at least in on Wikipedia, it said that he was from that system, the Mandalorian system. So I don't know. It's I guess they go back and forth, and until it's confirmed, like on a TV show, or or somebody comes out and says, you know, Jango Fett was Mandalorian, and then he broke off and took his armor and became a mercenary, a, bo a bounty hunter. Uh, who knows? That's like we talked about last week. That's sort of what Disney's doing right now. Is they're they're rewriting the canon. There was one of the books. You know, I, I've read so many of the books, I can't remember, but there was one where Boba Fett, he's, he's alive and he's doing, you know, he's, he's a, basically a billionaire because he's done all these stock trades and, and stuff and something happens and it's mentioned that he's not considered a Mandalorian because he wasn't brought up on Mandalore, wasn't born and raised on Mandalore, even though he's trying to, uh, you know, trying to make that connection now, but they still feel that he's not a Mandalorian because of that fact. My mind's racing a mile a minute right now thinking, so, okay, Boba Fett's a bounty hunter. Maybe the um, the remnants of the Empire put a bounty on, on the Mandalorian and he sees this as a way to get back into things and get his armor back if he can track down the Mandalorian. I don't know. That'd be awesome. It's going to make for a fun season. Yeah, I hope so. John Favreau has written a bunch of these episodes and I think this one was a pretty good one, minus that transition from Act 2 to Act 3 where it got slow. Some of the other Mandalorians we know of is Bo-Katan and Sabine Wren. It's Bo-Katan, right? Yes. She's still alive. She was in Clone Wars the, the last season, right? Right. right. She was the last one to hold the Darth Saber. Darth yeah. Saber before uh, Moth Gideon. That we yeah, know so the, they're alive. So if the Mandalorian's looking for others like him, there's a good chance that we can... I mean, that's the way to back into the, sh to the show or back into the universe is to have the Mandalorian hunt them down and, and ask for help. 
you think I lost my shit when I saw Boba Fett. I would really lose my shit if I saw Sabine in this in this show because that's my second favorite Mandalorian next to Boba Fett just because I, I love Rebels and she's just such a cool character. I Hell, I named my dog after her, my, my new puppy after Sabine. So that's oh. how much I love this character. Even when they're going through the, the streets in, in the first shot, I watched, when I rewatched the episode, I looked and I, I'm just oh. looking for a piece of graffiti. Yeah. Show me something that Sabine Wren's in this universe. And there was just, I didn't see anything. And it, it was kind of a little bit of a bummer. It would have been cool just to see. I was looking for the, you know, the Rebels, the the logo that she makes with the the rising phoenix. Yeah, the, the graffiti was a nice touch, added element to this um, used universe. I don't know, just a bad part of the town, I guess, because the graffiti was everywhere and nobody was, you know, putting the upkeep to make it look nice. Right. And then those, whatever those creatures were that were just waiting for the dark, you know, you make one wrong step and they were going to eat you. You know, what the heck were those? I'm wondering if we're going to get some more flashbacks. You know, if we do meet Sabine and Bo-Katan and they start talking about the Darksaber and why it's important. The way I interpret the Mandalorian, he's kind of isolated. He's not part of the larger community of Mandalorians. And there's a lot more mythology that goes along with it. I don't know if he realizes that whoever owns the Darksaber is the person that he's supposed to follow. So Moff Gideon has it. You know, if we meet Bo-Katan later in these, this season, we're going to learn more about the importance of the Darksaber and why the Mandalorian needs to get it back for the betterment of all Mandalorians everywhere. If we have some flashback scenes, I think it was Ray Park last year was, was posting like workouts for himself and, and, and posting like, this is the way. And he was in LA and I'm like, are we going to get some flashbacks with Darth Maul and the Darksaber and, and Bo-Katan kind of giving the same flashback that Cobb Vanth did and how he got the armor. Um, that, that would just blow my mind too. All speculation. We're definitely at least going to get a, a flashback scene. I think with at least with Bo-Katan and, and the the one you don't know when the uh, they show that one wrestler uh, in in the previews. It's like is she a Jedi or is she Sabine? Because people are kind of that may be Sabine, but I, I don't think her haircut's right to be Sabine. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, it's all speculation, but I can't. Can't wait to see what this season has in store. And episode one, really, uh, chapter nine, I should say, really took off with a bang and set the bar high. I mean, how do you top that last act with the battle with the crate dragon? I mean, what's, I mean, the Mandalorian versus a crate dragon, and he takes it down. It's just, what more can you do? That that whole run of how he got eaten, and then you see the dragon pop back up, and he's electrocuting it as he spits him out. And then right at that moment, he gets spits out. He blows it up. You're like, okay, cool. I'm excited for this season. I, I rarely am, but it's like you started off so high. You better keep it going because if it's a down, if next week sucks, we're going to be all be disappointed. Yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see, but we'll need some quieter episodes to get over the reveal of Boba Fett. I mean, you're not going to top that. I'm going to have to set my expectations going into the next couple episodes. I have a feeling that we're not even going to see Boba Fett for another episode or two. At least, like you said, we'll we'll get a little a breather in this episode, the one coming up next Friday, and then uh, go from there. Oh, real quick, before we wrap up. Yeah. So episode, uh, chapter five ended with some feet walking to that dead body on Tatooine. So do you think that's Cobb Vanth, or do you think that was Boba Fett? I mean, it's all speculation at this point, but I mean, what does your gut tell you? After seeing, I think if it would have been Cobb, we would have, he would have mentioned it. Uh, or we would have seen her at least in some, you know, hanging out in the town. But it, 
it's down to those two guys. It's got to be one of those two guys. I guess I'm leaning towards Boba Fett because he would be out there if he's just a loner making his way through the desert. He would want to pick off things from that, that I guess that body um, to see what he can use. So I guess I'm leaning towards Boba Fett. That's, that's who that was. So he's been there since the first season. Well, I mean, what happens if he goes back to his lair and she's sitting there waiting on him and they've teamed up and now they're going to go after the Mandalorian together? That would be great. I'd be freaking awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's just this is this is this is the way. This is Star Wars. So, like I said last week, man, these these two guys, they know it. They know the Star Wars universe and they're bringing characters back that the diehards know who they are, but the people who are just learning, you got to go do some research. After voting this week, make sure at the bottom of your ballot, add uh, John Favreau or Dave Filoni for Lucasfilm president. Disney, let those two guys run Star Wars, please. Yeah, I think Dave Filoni would be a great candidate because he was kind of handpicked by, um, although I don't want him to stop making this stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I talked myself out of that real quick. <laughs> he could still make stuff if he's running Lucasfilms. Yeah, I don't know. It's great stuff, great stuff. And then and then I'll say the other thing, when Cobb Vanth was first seen, this is how my brain works sometimes too. When Cobb Vanth first walks into the bar, we see him for the first time. <laughs> my brain was like, I want that action figure. Amen. I want that one. I want I want Scavenger Boba Fett, like you already have the head sculpt. I have like 12 different Black Series clones here with removable helmets and Tamora Morrison's likeness. Give me the Boba Fett one. I think if we're doing a Mando Monday this Monday, that's who the reveal will be because that, that's a figure that I'll be like, all right, I, you know, screw all the Clone Wars Mandos. I want that Mando because, like I said, I love the look of that character. I love the way that it's, you know, like even the Mandalorian because, you know, I, I've looked into being, becoming, being, joining the Mercs, and they're all hung up on, like, a cod piece. And you look at the <laughs> Mandalorian, he doesn't have a cod piece. He's got half what the Mandalorian Mercs want you to have as, a, as far as, being, you know, joining their ranks. And I'm like, I, you, you know, so it, it forces everything. And it, it, I think it's just going to open up a whole new world of cosplay. This, this one show is going to open up a whole new world of cosplay, and I can't wait. Of all things to get hung up on, let's not get hung up on a cod piece, guys. <laughs> right. That's like Batman Forever territory right there. It is. It, 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 and they, they're serious about their armor, man. They are very serious. No, I get that, and I respect it. I mean, it's great that there's a, a group out there that is dedicated to making accurate armor. Let's be a little bit more flexible. I guess if you don't want to be part of the 501st, like I have a Darth Vader costume. It's nowhere near regulation for 501st it's it's just something i bought off of amazon real cheap but um i'm happy with it i don't need the perfect armor this is personally i mean i'm not not against anybody who wants that but i just don't have the time to invest so if you want to be part of it just do your thing just make it but just don't expect to be part of the 501st because they have strict um rules all right guys jason i think we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up because we're looking we're well over an hour but I knew it would be when we brought up the Mandalorian. Yeah. You know, thanks for joining us, Jason. Where can they find you on uh, social media? Yep. I'm on Instagram, Jason Wasulko, W-A-S-U-L-K-O. Visit my website, wasulko.com. And uh, I guess that's it for me. Yep. Awesome. You guys can find me on Instagram at Cajun Fett. 
You can find the show at Smuggler's Galaxy on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, if you guys listen to us on iTunes, give us a like, give us a review because that helps us out in the uh, the schematics or whatever that iTunes does. I'm I'm downloading a bunch of stuff, trying to get us uploaded on every possible, you know, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever whatever I could put a uh, podcast on. I'm working on getting us on there so you can listen to us on a bunch of different platforms. Thanks for joining us. The uh, the 40 or so people that have downloaded the episode, share it, tell your friends about us. You know, let's get those up. Thanks for listening. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. We wanted men. Okay.